So we've been talking uh, about everyday discipleship um, as a church for the past couple weeks, and uh, the goal of everyday discipleship is that, and it's kind of in the name, right, that every single day uh, you would pursue God. That Sunday would not be the pinnacle of your spiritual experience, right? But that you would be seeking intimacy with God on a daily basis uh, and just experience the joys of following Jesus. And we wanted to to help each other do that as a church. And today's topic um, is going to be prayer. I mean, so Jesus is going to be telling us about prayer. Uh, And and I feel like it's safe to say that Jesus is probably an expert at this. And that kind of got me thinking that uh, we we all love to to hear from experts, don't we? Like, we appreciate it when someone who is uh, an expert at their craft decides to share with us. Like, it's why TED Talks are so popular. Um, I don't watch TED Talks a lot because, like, I don't, like, seek intelligence. But I I actually watched some TED Talks this week. I learned stuff about, like, biofluorescent fish. I don't quite remember what I learned, but I knew that the person was a marine biologist. His name was David, and he was really smart, right? But TED, TED Talks are popular because we, we, we enjoy to learn from experts. Uh, we even, we, it's even better when we're learning uh, from experts that are good at something that we want to be good at, right? When someone's an expert in their field, we, we seek uh, to learn from them. So I think about Dave Clayton. Uh, four years ago, I came to Ethos, and I heard Dave speak, and I myself wanted to be a teacher. And so when I heard Dave speak, I was like, you know, I got to track this man down. I, I want to know this guy on, on a deeper level. And so I did that after a lot of gatherings and a lot of emails. And he finally agreed to get coffee with me. And then I kind of forced him into an internship. Um, so it was awesome. So anytime that Dave and I would hang out, like even like casual hangs, and he would start talking through like what it looks like to teach, I would start pulling out my phone and taking notes, like anything but casual, right? As he would talk through like, this is what it looks like for me to prepare. I was like, okay, hold on one second. Like I know we're at a coffee shop and stuff, but I got to start taking notes on what you have to tell me, right? Because I'm eager to learn from him. And maybe you can think about someone in your own life that this is kind of how you are. Maybe this is your boss. Like they just, they do their job well and so you want to learn from them or a parent or a friend or maybe you like YouTube, like Steph Curry shooting a three-point shot because you really want to get better at basketball and you're just eager to learn. And this morning, we're going to be surrounding the words of Jesus as he instructs us how to pray. We are learning from an expert. And I think this is really important for two reasons to listen to Jesus. One, because he's God. Yeah. Like he's instructing us how to pray to God. He is God. Like open your ears, time to listen. But two, because he's not just a preacher of prayer, but he's also a practitioner He's speaking from experience. The Bible says that oftentimes Jesus would slip away to talk to the Father. We see many moments where he would lead the disciples and sometimes even pray all night. So uh, I believe that, that prayer was such an important part of the ministry of Jesus. I don't think Jesus prayed to the Father just so we would see it. I think Jesus, being fully God and fully man, knew that he himself needed prayer. So we're going to be reading out of Matthew 6, and we're going to surround the words of Jesus. And my hope is that as we learn from Jesus, that we begin to seek the Father and pray on a daily basis. So join me in verse 5. We'll read through verses 13. I'll pray over us, then we'll dig in. Jesus says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. 
This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's pray. God, you are welcome here. I just pray over everyone sitting in a white chair or standing in the back. I, just, I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would just captivate us with your words. I don't come here like creating these things. Like These are things that you've already said. So, God, I pray that your word would have power in this room. Holy Spirit, you are free to do whatever uh, it is you wish. Thank you, God, just for like the many walks of life that are represented in this room today and how you have open arms for all. I love you. Um, This is your time, and I'm excited for what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we even really like start dissecting uh, these verses, I kind of want us to come to a general consensus um, I know that sermons and like teachings and like settings like this, like these can be effective. Um, like, and I, and I hope that the Holy Spirit like uses this time of teaching to like really transform your heart. Um, but the truth is like, this is something that I, I was thinking about this week and I wanted to be careful before I said it, but I really believe this. Uh, I'm pretty sure I believe, yeah, I believe it. I do not think that 10,000 sermons in your lifetime can do what a life of prayer can do for you. Like, I think that you can come here every single Sunday and you you can hear good teachings. We have good, I believe in it. We have a lot of good teachers here Uh, and you can learn and you can grow from them, but nothing can change your life like a life of intimacy with the Father, going before God and pray on a daily basis. So that's kind of the agreement I want us to come to. So I don't feel, I guess, the pressure to change your life. I don't feel the pressure to, to blow your mind, to show you some kind of cool metaphor where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm seeing this in a whole new way. Like, Whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do, that's, that's fantastic. Whatever God shows us this morning is great. Um, but the purpose of this morning is to lead our church into the inner closet, into places of intimacy with God on a daily basis. This is the purpose of everyday discipleship. So let's go ahead and look at verses five through six. And um, before we get into the prayer, I wanted to look at these, these verses that Jesus sort of prefaces the prayer with. I think in verses five through six, we're gonna see that Jesus is much more interested in substance than in show. So it says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. So when Jesus begins to talk about prayer, the first thing he says is like what not to do, right? And he says, don't be like the hypocrites. He said, there's these hypocrites that would be in church and they would have these loud, elegant prayers. And maybe you've been around someone like that. And I'm not asking you to reflect on people that you know that pray and like wonder, are they the hypocrite or not? Don't do that. But just imagine someone standing and like giving these elegant prayers and you're kind of listening and like they're praying like in Hebrew and in Greek. And you're like, I don't even know what they're saying, but I'm pretty sure Jesus spoke that language. Like they're really on it. And Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites that like to, to try to convince you that they're closer to God than what they really are. Like they have their reward in full. And I wonder why Jesus starts with this. Why does he start with what don't be like the hypocrites? And I think it's because we all have this tendency sort of in us. Like we all have this tendency to want to persuade others rather than cultivate authenticity with God. I think about me at Hillsborough Village. Like I'm on the pastoral team there. And what that really means is like I try to like pray for people and I give announcements a lot. And, and I know that people know that I have some sort of role at Hillsborough Village. And so there, there will be some Sundays 
where I'm just not like feeling the vibe. I'm not like wanting to worship for some reason. Like I'm just off, I'm tired or I'm upset, I'm distracted. And I'll be sitting there and while we're singing, uh, I'm like, man, I don't really wanna lift my hands, but people can see me and I want them to at least think they know that I love God. So here we go. Or maybe there's that cute girl, like she loves the Lord. She needs to know that I'm on fire. Lord, like, you know, like, I, I don't know what, it's like we, we have these moments, like, but that's in us. I was thinking, I was trying to think like, God, besides that point, where have I been a hypocrite in my life? And I had to look years and years over my life to find where I'd actually been a hypocrite. And I got all the way back to five days ago uh, on Tuesday. <laughs> and, and on Tuesday, I was with this group of church planners and, uh, or potential church planners, and we're all talking, and, and one of them asked, like, what's the mission of God? What's the overall mission? And this guy who's like super intelligent starts speaking, and he says this Greek word. Here's how over my head I was. I don't remember what the word was, but he said some word that was not English. And as he said it, he's like, you know, I think the mission of God is that word. And everyone around me kind of goes, yeah. And, and I'm like, yeah, totally. Like, I'm totally with you, right? Because my first inclination was to convince them that like I'm fully on board. I took four semesters of Greek, no lie, have no clue what you're talking about, but I will not tell you any of that, right? Like, I'm fully with you, I'm on board, but this is kind of our tendency. Like, we all experience this. Like, you're talking to someone who has a really cool job, and all of a sudden, your job needs to be cooler, like, oh, well, I'm a barista at the world's biggest coffee shop, you know, like, like you have to like spice it up or maybe you're talking to someone who like loves God a lot and like they're like one of those people that are like really bubbly, they're excited, they're like, oh, I just love God, what he's doing. And you're kind of like, okay, you're kind of putting my walk with God to shame, but for the sake of this conversation, I'm gonna spice my walk with God up. And right from the onset, Jesus is saying like, no, like do not do this. Like instead, seek God in the private place. Like, get in your inner closet, get alone with God. And, and my question was, why? Why is Jesus urging this? And I think the reason is because there is a very real and intimate relationship with God waiting for us. And I really believe that isolation with God is the key to intimacy. That God wants our private time. And I can't speak for myself, but I just have to imagine that in any marriage, um, there is so much strength when you know you can be alone together and at your best or your worst, wherever you're at, you know that your love isn't threatened. Like if there's a strong marriage, you know that your love isn't contingent, right, on, on like where you're at in life, right? Because there's that covenant. I even think about my strongest friendships, like my brothers. I don't have any brothers, but I call my guy friends my brothers, you know? And so like my, my closest brothers are, are my friends that have been with me at my best moments and my worst moments. And we've had those like heart to heart moments. And like, they've seen me like cry over a girl and they've seen me like look kind of embarrassingly shameful, but they're like, they love me anyway. And like, those are the people I feel strongest to. And I think it's the same with God. Like if, if we are gonna have an intimate relationship with God, God has to be the God of our privacy. And here's what happened just now, I feel like for some of you. When you thought about God being the God of your privacy, you thought about shame, you thought about guilt, you thought about confession, you thought about your sins. And let me tell you this, Satan would love nothing more than to convince you, alone time with God is a perfect time to feel really crappy about yourself. But what I want us to see this morning is look at who is initiating this alone time with the Father. Jesus himself, in verse six, says to get alone with God, God himself initiating this time. Alone time with God uh, was not designed for you to come feeling condemned. 
alone time with, with God was built for you to develop a relationship with the Father, and God himself initiates it. So if alone time with God reminds you of guilt and condemnation, you're seeing it wrong. May this verse inform you of what's actually true. And I love this because this tells me that God wants time with me. And I think I've been going to church too long or I've been a Christian too long because at first this didn't catch me. I was like, yeah, no, God wants time with me. It's more about if I want time with God, right? And I was like, wait, step back. Like, take a step back. Why do I assume that God at his default would want time with me? You ever think about what it's like to be God? Probably not too much, but like, I don't know what it's like. I don't pretend to know, but I gotta think, God, creator of creation, owes us nothing. He does not have to be default invested in his creation, interested in what we have to say, interested in having dialogue. God could be cold and distant and mean and controlling and manipulative. God could be anything. But instead, in verse six, we see that God actually wants time with me. Man, that's pretty cool news. Like, let that kind of wake you up this morning as you sit in your white chair at the cannery and you're super comfortable in these plastic chairs. Like, God wants time with you. And I just, I love that. Now, I need to keep moving because we got some ground to cover. So let's look at verses seven through eight. It says that when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. And I'll skip ahead. It says, do not be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. So before getting into the prayer, knowing that God wants our privacy. And secondly, that God knows our needs. This just quickly, what it said, this just tells us that God knows our needs. When you come before God, you come before your creator who knows you, who knows your needs. And this is immediately going to be a time of trust. Like when you come before God, seeking the Father, like we come before him seeking to trust. Like God, I, I know I have these wants and needs on my heart, but you know what I need. Like before I even get into this thing, I, I trust that you know what I need. Now that's easier said than done. And I was uh, at Severe Park on Friday and my goal was just to go sit on a bench and stare and do nothing. Because I'm, I'm a big doer. I love to be doing things with people, with just anything. I don't like to sit still very often. But I thought, God, I, I want to go sit on this bench for a little bit with no agenda. And I sat there and I daydreamed for like 30 minutes. But then something cool happened. Um, I realized that I'm sort of an entitled asker. Like, I think I'm okay at coming before God and saying, like, hey, here's some things that I'm longing for. Like, here's some things that I want but I realized that underneath that perceived humility, I'm kind of like, God, you see my humility, right? So surely you understand the answer to this request. Like, surely we've talked, right? It's like, God, I really trust you that you're gonna send like that right girl when it's time. But like, I, I'm in no rush. Your plan is best. And then I like open one eye and I'm like, are you serious? Where is, I'm at a park, a public place. It's time, like, let's, let's do that. I'm humble, I trust you. It's time to give me the gift, right? And I was like, oh, shoot. My heart is, it really struggles. Like, what's happening in that moment? I'm struggling to trust that God knows my needs better than I know my needs. And this moment in the prayer reminds us that when you come before God, when finances are tight, when the marriage is struggling, and you're like, God, here's what I need. It's like you come before God who loves you, who knows you, who knows what you need. All right, let's get into the, the actual prayer. So uh, before we actually do, so we know that we seek God in private, now, when we come before God, we know that he knows our needs. And I'm going to have us kind of like look at, point out five things in this prayer. So if you're a note taker, here we go. Our Father God is holy. Our Father God is king. Our Father God is giver. 
Our Father God is gracious. Our Father God is our God. So before we uh, actually look at the, the words of this prayer, um, you say that Jesus, it says here that Jesus says, so when you pray, this is how you should pray. And from the onset, this almost sounds like, um, okay, every time you pray, say this. And I wanna be clear, um, I don't think that's the point here. Like we know in Philippians 4, Paul says, like, cast all your requests to God. Like, like, let God know what's on your heart. In John 17, Jesus prays this really long prayer, and this prayer is actually never there. So I don't think Jesus is seeking to, to turn us into, like, spiritual robots who, who say the same thing every time we come before God. But instead, like, last, last week we talked about um, building your house in the rock, if you were here last week. And that's kind of a good metaphor. I think this prayer that we're about to dig into is the rock to build your prayer life on. Or another example might be like an engine. Like I don't always see an engine or hear an engine, but if there's no engine, that car doesn't go, right? The engine's what makes the car go, right? Isn't that, is that right? I'm not like really into cars, but I think so. The engine's really important, right? And so I thought this prayer is sort of the engine of your prayer life. This should be the current of your prayer life. So let's look at the first phrase. Our Father. Now, to those of us who have been in church or heard this prayer, right off the bat, we were like, ready, you're ready for me to keep reading. But I want to be clear, the people who would have listened to Jesus say this at first would have been kind of surprised. In the Old Testament, it covers thousands of years, only 15 times as our father said, is God referred to as our father. And that's regarding the nation of Israel or the kings. Never the common person, never people in general. And from the onset, Jesus gets their attention. Like, I can see the disciples being like, Jesus, I don't, I trust you, but like, we don't call God that. We never call God our Father. But from the beginning, Jesus is redefining a new level of intimacy that wasn't once there, but that through Jesus is now possible, that we approach creator God as our Father. And now some of us hear Father, and immediately we're like, well, my dad, not ideal. Did not have a good father. My own dad, his dad, not an ideal father. Crummy, earthly father. And my dad was a good father. We all have different stories. But my hope is that today as we dive in and see the, the character of our father, that God himself begins to redefine what our expectation is of a father. So God is our father. Now let's, let's dive into the prayer. It says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So our father God is holy. I don't know about you, but I don't use hallowed often, ever, unless I'm right here right now. <laughs> teaching of the word hallowed, okay? So I looked it up and it was just saying that hallowed basically means to be set apart, to be holy, to be above, to be other than. And I love this moment because Jesus wastes no time to say that when you come before God, you are coming before something different, other than, holy, set apart, above, creator, your maker, all-powerful, every single star, every ocean, every mountain, every person, the maker of the universe, God. I love this, 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 like this, the mindset that he enters us into immediately. How often I come before God like, I'm here to tell you what I need. Jesus like, hold on. Know who you just approached. Not only is he your father who loves you, he is hallowed, he is holy, he is set apart, he is altogether different. This is not you hanging out with your bros or your girls on a Friday night. This is a holy God. And this made me think about my dad. I love my dad, I respect my dad. He gave me such a good example uh, growing up. He loved my mom, he, he, he took me to church. He, you know, all those the, the good things that I, I, I was just blessed to have from my dad, but never once, as much as I love my dad, I've never went to that guy and bowed down to him. 
Never. Have you ever thought about that? Like, bowing down is so weird. Like, why would I ever do that? That wouldn't make any sense, right? I've never caught him holy. Or think about someone that you really love and you really, really respect. Have you ever bowed down to them? And if you have, well, like, let's talk later. Like, you know, whatever. It's like, have you ever done that? No. From the onset, Jesus communicates, man, when you are speaking to your Father God, you are entering the presence of someone holy and other than and above you. Let's keep moving. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our Father God is king. I love this portion of the prayer. I, I think I love every, I think I'm gonna say that every time. I love this portion of the prayer. Um, I love it because it interrupts our day, kind of interrupts our goals and agendas. Like we've all got a lot of stuff going on, but in this moment we're reminded that our God is king. And if our God is king, then there is a kingdom advancing. And I think about how often my prayer life, just by default, I don't mean for this to happen, it's just by default, I come before God and I'm like, okay, here's what I need. Here's what's hurting me. Here's even some sin I got. Like here's, here's all these, and it's kind of like me-centered. And in this moment, it kind of th- makes me realize that I am a part of something bigger. I am a part of a kingdom advancing. You are a part of a kingdom advancing. As you sit here at the 9 a.m. in the cannery, you are a part of a larger narrative. Like God, creator, sustainer, king, seeing his kingdom come forth, you are invited into that. I was reading 2 Corinthians 5. I think it was verses 17 through 18. I I think that was it. Um, And it talked about how if you are in Jesus, the new has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Through Jesus, God reconciled us to himself and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. You know how sometimes new words can kind of hit you in new ways and it makes you appreciate something that maybe you already knew? Like I already knew that God loved me, that he forgave me, and that it's my goal to tell you that God loves you and forgives you. But for some reason that hit me in a new way. Like God in Jesus reconciled me, Joshua, to himself, perfect, holy God. And not only that, he has given me the ministry of reconciliation that we get to know a perfect and holy God and that we get to tell the world about a perfect and holy God that in Jesus welcomes all from any walk of life, any testimony, any story. That the king says, come, you are welcome. And I'm like, God, I know things stress me out. I know I'm just extra tired today. I know it's been a hard week. Man, that breakup broke me down. Man, my marriage is struggling. Man, I can't believe that job isn't here anymore. But remind me, I am a part of something bigger. Like that this life is not just me. There is a kingdom advancing and you've invited me, you've commissioned me to help in advancing that kingdom. Our Father God is holy. Our Father God is king. Let's keep moving. In verse 11 it says, give us today our daily bread. Our Father God is giver. The listeners at this time, when they thought about daily bread, this would have hit them uh, pretty quick. Um, they would earn a daily paycheck in that day. It's like every single day, they literally got the cash flow that day for that day's work. And so it was like, I, I, I could see this being an easier transition for them. Like, God, for real, like <laughs> the money from yesterday is gone. Today's a new day. You know, give us our daily bread. And I was wondering, like, what does this kind of mean for us? 
And I recognize that so often in my life, I fail to recognize that anything I need is from God. It made me think about, have you ever seen like a, a toddler with a toy? And you take the toy from the toddler and the toddler reacts with like these very simple words, that's mine. No, that's mine. You cannot have. I possess that. I own it contractually, right? Like the, the, the young kid from a young age knows like this is mine. You've taken it. Give it back. And I realized like, oh, that doesn't go away. That kind of sticks around for a while. Like everything I have, I got a job, I get a paycheck, I buy things. Those are mine. And I realized that, God, I so rarely come to you and recognize that my daily bread, my daily needs, what I have that sustains my life comes from you. Oxygen, but even more than that, my breath, literally every need, every single thing at the foundation comes from God himself. And this part of the prayer just recognizes that our father is a good father who gives what we need. And I also love it because it doesn't just say, uh, give us our monthly bread, give us our annual bread. It says, give us our daily bread. So it doesn't only remind us that we have daily needs that we rely on God for. It reminds us that we have a daily need of God himself. If you give me my daily bread, when do I come back? The next day, right? I love that. Our Father God is giver. Let's keep moving. Our Father God is gracious. It says, and forgive us our debts. I know we're moving kind of fast. I hope you guys are able to keep up. You're hearing this. Um, and forgive us our debts. And I, and I love this part of the prayer, again, uh, because it gives us such an insight into what this looks like with the Father God, our relationship with God. You know, it doesn't say like, hey, I've done certain things. I've been really focusing this week. So could you forgive us our debts? Like, hey, we as a church, we're being really generous. Will you forgive us our debts? It's like, it doesn't say that. What does this leave? Like, where does this leave all the responsibility on the person we're asking, right? Like, if I hurt someone and I say, hey, my bad, I'm sorry. I can't undo what I just did. I am now relying on them, right? That's what that looks like. Up to you to forgive. And I love this part of the prayer because it says, forgive us our debts. We are now relying on your grace alone. We have done nothing to earn this. We are now relying on your grace. And I love it because Jesus is the one giving us this prayer. And through Jesus, we are saved. Through Jesus, our sins washed clean. I love that we have Jesus' words to remind us that when we say forgive us our debts, our hope is only in the abundant grace and mercy of Jesus himself. What a comfort that I don't have to live in this tension of earning something. That's such an easy tension to live in in this culture where we make our way, we build up ourselves. But before a holy and perfect God, the pressure is not on me. The pressure was on Jesus and Jesus came through. And in Jesus, there is grace and mercy. That is great news, just so we know. That, that's amazing news. Do we know that that's amazing news? Yes, yes, amazing news. You don't have to, that'd be weird if you had to answer. That's an awkward thing I put you in just then, my bad. Um, as we also have forgiven our debtors. I love this part because true forgiveness is a true circle, isn't it? Like when we recognize our need for forgiveness, we are inevitably going to be quicker to forgive. If true forgiveness has touched our hearts, we are quicker to forgive. Isn't it true when you've experienced something, you're much quicker to relate and have compassion through someone else experiencing something? 
Like if you've seen uh, how divorce can hurt a home, you relate to someone going through the same thing. If you've seen addiction, you're quicker to relate to people who are suffering from addiction. I remember uh, when I would go to coffee shops and restaurants and like a waiter or a waitress would come and they were clearly just like having an off day and they'd be kind of like snappy or rude and um, I'm not perfect and I'm about to give an example. My first thought when someone was rude to me was, I'm sorry for giving you my money for a service that you offered me. My bad, I didn't mean to upset you, you know? Like I had this kind of arrogant, condescending, just default nasty heart towards them. And then I worked in coffee for two years and I realized how hard that on switch is to keep on. <laughs> like I realized how hard it is to take care of every single customer's every silly knee. Like you got more sugar in the raw? Yes, let me go back and get it for you. Thank you so much for coming to our coffee shop. Like that's hard to do, right? And once I realized like, man, this business is hard. Now when I go to a coffee shop or a restaurant, and I'm not perfect, but I'm like, hey, waiter, waitress, person taking my order, if you need that customer to take it out on, I'm your guy, take it out on me, right? Because I understand, man, that's harder than it looks. It's stressful, it's hard, and that's, that's kind of what I'm getting at in this verse. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Man, we forgive others when we understand our need for forgiveness. Like if there's anyone in your life right now that you're not forgiving, maybe this is a wonderful moment for you to think about how the forgiveness of God has met your life. And may that enable you to be quicker to forgive. Let's finish this up. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And this phrase probably strikes us all as a little odd, like this thought of God leading us into temptation. And the teaching team, it, it struck us as odd too, but we, we studied all week and this was kind of the, the best thing we could come away with uh, with our commentaries we concluded that it's probably best translated, don't abandon us to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Like God, don't leave us, but be with us and deliver us. And so this prayer is actually super simple right here. God, I cannot do this on my own. Like I need you with me. Like do not abandon me in times of temptation and testing and trial. Like when I'm at my worst moments, I recognize that I myself am not strong enough. I need your spirit to deliver me. And I love this because in John 14, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. In John 16, it says better that the Holy Spirit is here than me myself. It's like, Jesus, that sounds like a crazy promise, but it's true. Jesus said it. So in the promise of Jesus, we are promised the Holy Spirit. And so we know that when life is at its toughest, when temptation is at its strongest, that we are not left alone, that we have been promised the Holy Spirit of God. We are not abandoned. And so I know that I, I feel like we've, we've really ran through a lot of stuff. And this is like a lot. It felt like a lot to me this week. I think it's beautiful, but it's, it can be kind of heady. Um, but the goal of this everyday discipleship is to bring this all down to the ground. And so how do we do that with this text? How do we bring this down to the ground? And I realize that we are all in so many different places on the prayer spectrum, we got people who are just like praying right now and people that have never prayed. And that's a beautiful thing. We serve a God who welcomes anyone and everyone. So wherever you're at, this is for you. Um, but the first thing that I kind of took away from this passage, I was thinking about what do I want um, for a church? Like what would be the ideal takeaway from this teaching? I think the first thing would be that we would turn our places of frequency into places of fellowship. That we would turn our places of frequency into our places of fellowship. 
So um, this might sound weird or strange, like what does that even mean? And Jesus says, you know, get into your inner closet, like get with God in private. And so for me, I was just thinking, you know, wherever you're at often, alone, that's probably a place of frequency. And so that's an opportunity to turn that place of frequency into a place of fellowship with God. And so I'll, I'll give you an example if this still sounds weird or doesn't make sense. So in my own life, I realized that my bedtimes were always super distracted. Like I'd watch Netflix or get on Twitter or social media, and I was always staring at a screen before I went to sleep. And I, just this guy I was in a discipleship relationship with, I was just telling him, like, I want my bedtime to be more peaceful. I, I don't know. I, I just know I want more. I, I didn't know. I just sensed my heart saying, like, that's not the way to go to sleep. I don't know why. And so I began to journal every night before bed. And I'm not a big fan of journaling, but that turned into something else. So I began to pray every night before bed. And I realized like for the longest time, my bedroom had been a place of laziness, of temptation, um, of, of running from God. And this, if this sounds weird, totally cool. But I started to realize what if my bedroom itself could be a free place to worship God? Because for the longest time, my room had not stood for a literal space where God is welcomed. And so I did this thing. I was like, God, help me make this place a sanctuary. I want to worship you. I love you. I'm not, I'm not pretending. Like, I really want to know you more. So make this room a sanctuary. And it's been amazing because slowly but surely, I go into my room now and I feel freedom to like talk out loud like a crazy person to God. And I don't feel crazy though because I'm actually talking to God. And I want to let you know, I've got bad days, distracted days, days where it doesn't happen. But man, for the most part, my room is totally transformed. It sounds weird, but it's like the, the aura of the place is different. And I love that. And let me tell you, this looked so different every day. There were days where I would literally, my brain is ADD to the max. And so I would like walk around my room talking out loud, okay? Weird stuff, but it was effective for me. I was like, God, like, you know, talking to him. Other days, I would be singing worship songs. Other days, I'm sitting still and just listening. Look, I'm not telling you this to like, like brag or anything. I'm trying to give you a picture of this is going to look different. This is going to look different for you, maybe even on a daily basis. And for you, it may not be your bedroom. You may be like, I live in a dorm with two other people. Never will I do that in front of them, you know? It's like, probably true. Good call. You know, so maybe this is your car ride to work. Maybe I used to do this when I worked at a coffee shop. I'd get to the parking lot 15, 30 minutes early and just spend time with God because I knew that my car was like the safest spot. The best bet was my car. Or maybe this is like a bench at a park or a trail that you like to hike or a coffee shop. But whatever that place is, think about right now that place of frequency that you can turn into a place of fellowship. And to bring this even further down to the ground, to make this even more practical, we wanted to, to give you something you could literally start doing. If you're like, okay, like I, I wanna pray, but I don't really know where to start. Um, here's the most practical standpoint. So just pray the prayer that we have here in Matthew 6. Like just walk through this prayer this week, every single day, and pray that God would reveal different parts of your life. Like there's different aspects of this prayer, right? Like our, our God is holy. God, what does it mean that you're holy, that you're perfect, and that you love me, that you're my father? What does that say about you? What does that say about me? Our God is king. God, where are you inviting me into participation, into your kingdom? Where can I play in your kingdom? Like, who do you want me to tell about the gospel of Jesus? Like, how can I participate? Our God is giving. God, where am I not trusting you to provide for me? 
Where am I anxious and stressed out and I wanna take control right now? The last thing I wanna do is say, I trust you. Like, where is that? Reveal it to me. Our God is gracious. Where do I need forgiveness? Or where do I need to embrace that I am forgiven? That I don't come before you guilty and dirty, but in Jesus, I'm cleansed. Or where do I need to forgive someone? Our God is our guide. Like, where do I need your deliverance? Where has temptation really gotten the best of me? Where has my integrity really been compromised? Like, where, is Satan has, where does Satan have a hold on my life? Jesus, you're my deliverer. But my last kind of just piece of advice, my last piece of just encouragement would be to keep this thing real, to keep it conversational. Like if the structure of this prayer feels like cold, like personalize it. Talk to God. I feel like my walk with God changed when I stopped dressing it up so much. Like I talked to him like I was at some kind of like high traditional trip. I was like, God, like in heaven, like I pray, you know, have forgiveness. And I was like, I don't really feel like I'm talking to you. I just think this is what I'm supposed to do. And I realized that God wants me to simply talk to him. And when we get conversation with God, I really do think some beautiful things happen. So I'd encourage you to keep this conversational. So as we are about to go to communion, communion's another place of frequency. This is something we do every week as a church. We gather around the bread and the juice and think about the life of Jesus. And I would encourage you to even allow this time to be a time of intimacy with God. And if you don't know Jesus, puncture here, no pressure. But I did wanna just encourage you, if, if you're interested in following Jesus or have questions like, just pray this prayer. Walk through this prayer as we just did this morning. And just see what you hear from God. Um, we're gonna have men and women at the respond banner. If anyone wants to pray, um, please come and do that. Um, I'm gonna pray over us. We'll enter into a time of communion. Thank you guys um, for being here. This is, this is fun. Let's pray.